Chapter 3, here we go. Understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres, by the way, we're not going to have time to get to this portion. We're, we're going to run out of time before we get here. But but Janice and Jambres were those two uh, magician guys back in, in the days of Moses when he came to display the power of God to Pharaoh. And they imitated the first couple miracles. And then after that, they were out, couldn't do it. But anyway, that's who those two guys are. So that these, they, these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all as was that of those men. Let's pray together. Father, we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit today. God, we need you, Father, to uh, speak to us through your Holy Spirit. God, as the word goes forth, I pray that uh, by your power, God, that we might apply it to our lives. God, that we might be struck. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that we'd be wounded today. Uh, I think we need that. God, in a passage like this, God, I can't, I can't imagine how we would not be wounded. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would wound us with the word so that we might heal um, in accordance to your truth, that we might be yielded to you, that we might be surrendered to you, or that we might begin to be transformed to be in the image of Jesus. God, we ask for your help. We ask, God, that you would guide us through this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. When are the last days? That's a question we need to ask. First of all, it says, understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Most people, when they think of the last days, they think of a time in the future, right? We think of, oh man, that's, that's way up there in the future. Whenever Jesus comes back, it'll be the time right before he comes. And I agree with that. I suppose it is that time. But what I would tell you today is I believe it, it refers to today, okay? I think we are in the last days, all right? Let me tell you why I think about that or think that way. First of all, when you, when you line up God's story, by the way, we're doing this on Wednesday. On Wednesdays, we are teaching the kids God's story. Okay. We're putting it, we're putting it all in line for them. And we're teaching them to memorize 13 elements so that they can have in their head, you know, this is kind of the story of the Bible. The reason for that is a lot of kids are and a lot of adults for that matter. They're trying to figure, okay, when is David and Goliath in comparison to Moses in the Red Sea? And when is, you know, Moses in the Red Sea in comparison to Isaiah, the prophet or Jesus resurrection or, you know, Paul's imprisonment. When does all that line up? And so what we've done is throughout this semester, we're going to be teaching them 13 elements. All right, let me tell you to you. See if I can remember them. All right, see if I got them memorized. Ready? Creation, fall, flood, uh, promises, exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation, which is Jesus becoming man, uh, Bethlehem. Okay. Incarnation, uh, kingdom, which is Jesus' earthly ministry, cross, resurrection, Church, second coming. 
Okay? There's God's story from beginning to end, from creation to the second coming. Now, let me ask you this question. Where are we in that timeline? Okay? So, think about that timeline. Where are we in that timeline? Well, if you think about that timeline, we are in the church age, right? We're, we're in the age right before the second coming of Jesus. What's left on God's timeline? What's left in God's story? As you look at the history of the Bible, the only thing left is the second coming of Jesus, right? It is His second coming. That's all that's left. And so, indeed, when you look at it from that perspective, we are indeed in the last days. If you turn in your Bible to 1 John, you have to turn there, but let me read you this. Here's how John addresses the church in 1 John. 1 John 2.18, he says, children, it is the last hour, okay? In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 20, it refers to Jesus' uh, ministry, his own ministry. In verse 20, it says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. So, the Bible refers to the last days as the days we're in right now, okay? Beginning with Jesus, his ministry, his kingdom ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all the way to the second coming of Jesus, that is the last day. So we're in them, okay? So when you read this passage and you read 2 Timothy chapter 3 and you say, understand this, that in the last days and then all this stuff's going to happen, uh, what, what you're going to see is that this stuff is for us, okay? It's for us. Let's pray together so we can kind of... Pray for Lynn, all right? Father, we just uh, thank you, Father, for a time of worship. I thank you for the gathering of the saints. And God, we just uh, pray, Father, that you'd uh, enable Lynn to relax, God. And um, Father, we pray for your ministry upon her, God. We're not sure, um, God, how to pray sometimes. But we pray that you would be near her and that your presence would be among us. And that you'd help those that are caring for her. And Father, we, uh, we ask, God, that you'd help us, God, to know... Um, how we can help. God, I think this is the only way, Father, is just by us praying and, and just asking you to, to minister and to, to do a good work there. And Father, I pray that you'd guide us as we, as we think about this passage of Scripture. Um, Father, I, I believe that you have something for us here today to understand, to know. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray that you would reveal your truth to us, God. And uh, we pray for the power of your Spirit. Lord, I, I'm so aware that God... By your spirit, you can do more in a, a millisecond than I could do talking for hours, days, months, years. God, um, Lord, we're so aware that it's only by the power of your spirit that we're changed, that we're, we're transformed. And so, Lord, we ask for that, that ministry in us today. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're in the last days. So when the Bible talks about these days, it's talking about today. Um, what, what does it say about these last days? Well, it sums it up in this. There's going to be times of difficulty, okay? Uh, times of difficulty. Now, you know, when you read that phrase, in the last days will be times of difficulty, you might think in your head, okay, well, he's talking about earthquakes, plagues, natural disasters, wars, you know, nuclear bombs, all, all kinds of things. You, you know, as you read through the passage, he's not talking about any of that. He's talking about sins that you and I deal with on a daily basis, okay? He's talking about kids being disobedient to parents. He's talking about men being arrogant and prideful. He's talking about people being ungrateful. He's talking about people being unforgiving, okay? <laughs> you know what that tells me? That tells me that difficulty, trying times, struggles, they don't come by these catastrophic events. You know what they come by? They come by sin in you and I's life. That, that's where difficult days come from. I, I can't think of anybody here who would say, you know what? I'm a little low on difficulty. I sure wish I had some more. 
Um, I don't think there's anybody like that. I, I don't know what's going on in your family. I don't know what's going on in your hearts. But, but I know this. I know that you don't want any more difficulty, you know. I know that there's nobody in here who would say, man, our family just doesn't have enough. My, it's, you know, raising kids is just not hard enough for us, you know. Uh, Lord, I wish you would throw in some more. Nobody says that. Uh, we don't want any more difficulty. And, and so what that tells me is we should not want any more sin, okay. It's a reason to take sin seriously is because sin brings really terrible days, all right. Amen, all right. It does. It brings really terrible days. It's always a false advertiser. Sin always says, hey, you know what? You can live this way and there not be any price. It doesn't cost you anything. That's it's a lie. You know, I mean, what sin does is it says you can you can live this way for the low, low price of zero plus shipping and handling. OK, kind of does what the telemarketers do. And then you later you find out that shipping and handling was twelve hundred dollars. OK, or, or, or in our case with sin, shipping and handling is it's going to cause you difficulty and misery and struggle in your life. OK, and so so here's what we want to do. We, we want to look at these sins, but we want to look at them in a very particular way. I don't know if you were paying attention when I read this, but this is a sandwich. OK. In, in Hebrew, if you were in Hebrew class, they would call it a chiasm. But doesn't a sandwich make more sense, huh? Doesn't it? I mean, doesn't everybody resonate with a sandwich a little bit better? Uh, a sandwich has, has layers, okay? The top layer and the bottom layer are the same. And then in the middle, you got the meat, okay? That, that's exactly what, what this passage is structured at. You have about 19 characteristics boxed in by a couple other things in this passage. Okay, here's what you've got. You've got in verse two, you've got people will be lovers of self and lovers of money. Okay, so so right away you find that in the last days, one of the things that's going to happen is people are going to love the wrong things. Okay, now then you've got all these other characteristics. You've got proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. And then you've got the end of the passage. Surprise, surprise. How does it end? Lovers of pleasure. And then here's the kicker. Rather than lovers of God. And and so do you see what you have here? You you have a sandwich of you're loving the wrong things. You're loving the wrong things. And because of that, all this bad stuff occurs in the middle. Folks, here's the way I look at it. I'm a compulsive weeder. Okay? You know what I mean by that? Uh, it's not that I weed all the time. Judy weeds all the time. All right. I don't know if you've been by her house, but she, she, she's on her knees praying and weeding all the time. I mean, she, there's one, she's out there picking up. I'm I'm not really that way. If you see my yard compared to Judy's yard, you would know that. But here's what I am. When I start weeding, it's hard to stop. You know, I'll pray outside. This week I did this. I was, I went outside. I was kind of in my office struggling with some things. God, you got to help me. So I got to start walking and praying. But inevitably I look at the yard. And I see a sticker, you know. And so I go down there on my hands and knees and, and I start digging that sticker out. And I get it. And then you know what happens? I see another. I mean, another way it goes. And so I, I got to dig and I get it, you know. And, you know, Paula came out with phone messages. I've got this pile, you know, of, of just stickers that I've dug out of the whole front side of that, that yard. And, and, and that, that's kind of very, very common for me. But here's, here's the thing. Those of you who do some weeding, you, you, you know this is true. It's not very satisfying to just get the top. Have you ever done that? Have you ever like, you know, you tried to weed and so you got in there and you pulled and it broke off on top and, and, and you have, you know, what was showing. And so in one, in one sense, it's good because you know what? Okay. Hey, for church Sunday, nobody's going to see that sticker. But you know what the truth is and that you and I know it's coming back. That's right. It's coming back. It's coming back. 
And I tell you, on the other hand, there is nothing more satisfying than when you get a hold of that bottom. Have you ever done this and you pulled up a tap root? You know, you ever pulled up one of those dudes and it had a root on it like that? It was just impressive, you know? Man, whenever I get one of those, I just feel like holding it up being like, I'm the champion. You know, sing that song. <laughs> Look at this. You know, putting it upside down so the sun bakes it, you know? I mean, that, you know why? Because you know that one ain't coming back, you know? That one's gone. We're never having to deal with that again, Okay. So many times in our spiritual life, you know, you know what happens? We're just taking the top off. Okay. So many times we, we'll come in and we'll hear a sermon about unforgiveness, you know, and man, immediately the Holy Spirit's right on us. You know, we, we've held a grudge against this person. And, and so we're like, ah, oh, you know, I know I shouldn't, I shouldn't be unforgiving. Uh, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He died on the cross for that person's sins. I need to be a forgiving person. You know, man, you know, okay, God. And we make a pledge. A lot of times we'll make a pledge. You ever do that in church, God? Uh, and you should, by the way, God, I just, I'll, I'm going to forgive that person. And so you, you do, and you walk out Sunday is glorious. Monday is pretty good. Tuesday, you see the person, they got a smirk on their face and it's over. It's all out now. Uh-uh, gonna, you know, and, and, and you're like, man, how'd that happen? You know what happened? You just pulled the top off. You didn't get a root. It's going to come back. And so, so here's the beautiful thing about this passage is, I really think Paul says, here's the root. And you know what the root is? The root of all these sins, and I would dare say every sin, is simply this. Loving the wrong thing. What did Jesus tell us the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two Demand the whole, all of the law and the prophets. That's it, guys. That's, that's the ball game right now is, is, is loving God and loving your neighbor, loving the right things. And so when Paul says difficult days come, sinful days, disastrous days in families and marriages and, and countries, and the reason is because of all this sin, and the reason for all this sin is because people love the wrong thing. And it starts out saying lovers of self. I think that's key. I really think there's only, there's only two, two primary ways of directing your affection, you're either going to direct it toward yourself or you're going to direct it toward God. I think that self is the greatest idol in the history of mankind, okay? I really think that most all idols revolve around the central idol of of loving yourself, being self-centered. Isn't that the way we talk about ourselves? Being so, or actually we never talk about ourselves that way, we talk about other people that way. Self-centered, okay? They revolve around self. They're primarily concerned with self. They they, they do what is easy and pleasant and convenient for self. They're thinking about self. Folks, I've I've heard people tell me before, You've probably heard this. If you watch daytime TV, I bet you've heard this. You know, I bet you've heard people say, you know, my big problem is I don't love myself enough. And, and you know, I thought, I've thought about that. And I've given that serious thought because I, I don't want to say something that's wrong. I'm, I'm really aware of that. But I, I, I am convinced enough to say this. I don't think that's ever your problem. You know, I, I don't think it's ever anybody's problem that they need to love themselves more. Now, push back. Uh, I'll agree. Okay. Here, here let, let's, let's have some pushback, right? I, I talked to, about this to a guy this week, and here's what he told me. He said, well, what about the lady? He gave me a scenario. He said, what about the lady who is being abused? You know, what about the lady who's, who's you know, taking abuse from this guy, and this guy is abusive to uh, her, and, and she just takes it, and she, she just, you know, doesn't fight back, and she feels like she deserves it. Doesn't that lady, shouldn't that lady love herself more? What do you guys think? I mean, is that a category where we could say, you know what? That lady needs to love herself more. Well, here's why I'm going to answer that. I'm going to be kind of tricky with it. I, I would say this. I don't know, but I do know this. 
That's not the answer to her problem. The answer to her problem is she needs to love God more, okay? Just play that out in your mind. If, if that lady loves God more, does that solve her problem? I, I, I think exactly it does. If, if that lady loves God more and she begins to see herself from a biblical perspective, she begins to get her identity, she begins to think about marriage and relationships from a biblical perspective, she begins to yield herself to the truths of the scripture. My friends, will not that problem work itself out? It will. Okay, And so I would say, yes, you can create scenarios where people think wrongly about themselves and have a wrong view of themselves. But I really think the answer to that is not, hey, let's go out and love ourselves more. I, don't, I just don't think that's ever the right step. I think the, the right step is always, let's go love God more, right? I mean, I, th- I think that's always the heart of the problem, the, the heart of the issue, the central idea. And, and I think the Bible assumes that. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, your, and strength. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as? Okay, now Jesus assumes we love ourselves. Correct? Why would he say that? I mean, is there anybody that that didn't apply to? Is there anybody wandering around? Man, I don't know how to love my neighbor, you know? I've been trying to, I've been reading my Bible. It said, love your neighbor as yourself. I have no idea how to do that because I don't love myself, you know? The Bible doesn't apply to me. I don't think there's anybody that says that. Or they might say it, but I don't think it's true. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 tells husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. Okay, now, what's that assuming? That's assuming that men all love themselves, right? Love their body. You're saying, well, not, not all guys love their bodies. A lot of guys wish they looked like Fred Martin, you know? They're just, man, if I only had muscle like Fred, you know, then be all. You know what? Even guys who think that, they're still loving themselves. You know, they're still centered around themselves. You, you know, in fact, that, that's, may, why, that's maybe why they want to look like Fred. It's because, man, I wish I had attention, you know. I wish I, wish I had everybody looking at me, you know, look, looking at how buff I was. Folks, we, we all love ourselves. Fred, you're incredible, buddy. I've seen him eat at McDonald's, and I know his secret. I've, I've started to try it. But listen, when self-love is not governed by the greater love for God and a healthy love for neighbor, folks, we're in trouble, okay? We're in trouble. And listen, listen to the way the Bible talks. Listen to the way the gospel talks about, about us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Did you hear that? Count others more significant than yourselves. So living out the gospel demands that you, 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 you not love yourself, okay? It, it demands that you love others. That you focus your attention not on me, but on others. Let's read the next verse. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, the gospel is pushing our, 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 our focus and our attention away from from to ourselves and to others. The Bible says there's the path of joy. There's the path of happiness. There's the path of godliness. It is moving your attention from yourself and to others. In fact, Jesus said himself, he said, if anybody's going to follow me, this is Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus says that the answer, if you're going to follow me, then you, here's the steps. Number one, you got to deny yourself. you got to get your focus off of me. you got to get me off the throne of your life. You've got to stop revolving around me, 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 and you've got to shift your attention to Jesus. And, and so I, I would say with all confidence 
that the root of sin is a misplaced affection. It is not loving God, and rather it is loving self. Now, the next thing the Bible tells us here is that we shouldn't be lovers of money. However, I don't want you to think of this as a different category. I don't think it's a different category. I actually think that loving money falls right under loving self. I, I don't think there's anybody out there who, who their idol is money, but they don't care anything about themselves, you know? They're just, they're just like all after money, and they're just giving it away, you know? And, and, and they're just, they're, they're, they're idol, does that even make sense? No, it doesn't make sense, does it? Why do people, why do people who love money want money? People who love money want money so they can spend it on who? themselves, right? I mean, so that they can get their security from money. They, 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 the way they look at it is, if I had money, I'd be happy. If I had money, I'd, I'd be at peace. If I had money, I'd be popular. If I had money, I'd have friends. If I had money, I mean, for them, money is the answer to all of their self issues. So it's still a love of self. Matthew chapter six tells us that, uh, man, you can't love yourself and money and love God at the same time. Verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6 says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay? So by serve is love, set your affection on. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. And in fact, with this whole root thing that I've been talking to you about, we see that in 1 Timothy very clearly in the issue of money. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils, and it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. And so, so the Bible tells us very clearly that loving the wrong thing is a root of all kinds of other evil sins in your life. Okay? So let's come back to our passage, come back to our sandwich. What we've got here is, is, is a list of characteristics in which someone loves the wrong things. And because of that, it brings them into all kinds of sin. All right? Let's go through those all kinds of sin. We're going to do this really quickly if we can. Um, I'm going to group them to try to save some time. So let's start out in verse 2. It says people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Now, what, what flows, what, what, what does that root produce? First thing, pride. Second thing, arrogance. Okay, we're going to jump down and pick up another one so we can kind of group them down in verse 4 where it says uh, swollen with conceit. Okay, we're going to take those three. All three of those stem from the same thing and it's simply pride. What is pride? Pride is thinking highly, too highly of yourself and not highly enough of God and others. Okay, pride is an attitude of superiority over others and even over God at times. Pride is a consuming uh, thought pattern of you me, me. Okay. Now that's what pride is. Now, how, how do we know that we have fallen into this sin? Let me give you a very easy test for this. Um, just in all honesty, I think this kind of works in a very practical way. If you find yourself being surrounded by stupid people all the time, you probably are prideful. Okay. I mean, just, just honestly, um, if you, if you find yourself coming home and you're just irritated at all the people, you know, and, and I tell you what, I'm surrounded by idiots and I'm surrounded by people who don't know what they're doing. And I, this, you know, if you find yourself driving down Oklahoma Avenue and you, in your heart, you're convinced you're the only person in all four lanes who knows how to drive. Okay. If that is what you feel on a consistent basis, you are a lover of self. Okay. Now listen, take it seriously. You're going to get some shrapnel. I preach this three times. I, I, spiritually, I've got no limbs right now. They've all been blown off. Okay. Because this hits home. That's a lover of self. It's one of two things. Okay. On the one hand, you could be, you could be saying is the reality that you are in the top, you know, 0.0001% 
0.1% of the 7 billion people on the planet. You just do everything rock star better than everybody. You're smarter. You're more wise. You're more virtuous. You're more godly. You're a better driver. You're a better skill. I mean, you're just, you are, you know, this, you line up 7 billion people, you're top. You're first in line, okay? Either that's the case, and we can't believe that God has sent you to Woodward, Oklahoma to live here with us. Wow! You know, either that's the case, or, number two, you're prideful. You're prideful. And where does pride come? Pride from, comes from being a lover of self. Pride comes from being oriented around yourself. You think of you. You think of self. Okay? You, you're, you're focused on you. Man, we see this in our society. I, I want to apply this to us, but let me just give you some examples in our society that are so brazen. Okay? Let me give you a couple. Number one is reality TV shows. Reality TV shows thrive on pride, conceit, and boasting. Okay? You know what they do? They have this little reality show, and then they have the interviews of the people personally, and the other people can't hear. What do they always do? They always brag and boast on themselves and tear down everybody else brazenly i mean embarrassingly sometimes you know politicians i was watching the news the other day and this just this just aggravates me so badly i've never heard a politician say man i blew that one i i, I can't remember a time of hearing that i mean honestly sometimes you know they'll be under interrogation for like two years and finally like okay yeah i blew it you know you know after it's that or go to jail you know but, but just right off the bat, there, there was, I was watching the news the other day and there was some kind of thing that didn't work, you know, and, and they came back, it was a bad report. And so the, 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 the spokesman came up and you know, you know what he did? He blamed the other party, you know? I mean, it's, it's, I just, I just, if, if they'll ever get up a guy that, you know, just, he'll get up, he'll run for president and say, yeah, you know, when I was governor, man, I really blew that whole first year. I had this philosophy and it was completely wrong, but you know, I, I realized that and, and, and I kind of corrected and, and I think I'm on a better path now. I think this works. I'm voting for that guy. You know, he's a real guy. All these other guys, I, I don't, I don't get, man, I've already made 10 mistakes in this sermon. Okay. I mean, of heart and mind. I don't, I don't understand a guy who makes all these incredible decisions and never makes a mistake. You know what that is? That's pride. That's pride. Let's keep going. We got it. We got to go quick here. Abusive. Okay. Abusive. Um, you know what? When you elevate yourself, you automatically lower everybody else. You know what's going to happen when you don't love God? You're not going to love your neighbor. Did you know that those two go together? That's why God said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, like it, he says, is love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't love God, you're not going to love your neighbor. Because if you're not loving God, you're, you're loving something. What are you going to be loving? You're going to be loving self. And if you're loving self, you're not going to love your neighbor. You know why? Because your neighbor is going to irritate you. He's going to annoy you. You know why? Because self reigns. Self is king. We'll talk more about that here in a minute. Disobedient to parents. Um, you, you know, you know what strikes me is that in the middle of a whole bunch of really heinous sins, we find this disobedient to parents. You know what I think is true of our culture? I don't think our culture believes that kids being disobedient to their parents is a big deal. It's a season of life. I mean, isn't that the way that most people look at it? Most people look at it as, you know what? It's not really a big deal. It's just kind of life. I mean, Hey, we were, let me tell you some stories, you know? Uh, I mean, that, that's kind of the way we look at that. You know, the way the Bible looks at it, the Bible says there's, there's, there, there's, there's a real problem with disobedient children. And the problem goes back to a root that self is king. You know, whenever you have a kid that doesn't listen to his mom and dad, you know why he doesn't listen to his mom and dad? Because his mom and dad are wrong about everything. You know, in his mind, self rules. I, I, I mean, a person who loves self listens to self. Self is always right. Everybody else is an idiot. That includes mom and dad. And mom and dad, sometimes we foster this. 
Mom and dads, if you have a prideful heart, if you're the kind of person that comes home and talks about how stupid everybody is and how you're the only one that knows anything, your kids, he, he's, he's listening. And you know what he's saying? Darn right, I've thought that about my preschool, Dad, you know? I mean, I, I'm the only genius in that place, you know? And, 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 Dad, you're right, okay? But when, when, when preschool becomes elementary school, pretty soon he's saying, you know what, Dad's in the category with these other idiots, you know? I mean, I'm the, I'm the only one that knows anything. It comes from a orientation around self. Look at this one, ungrateful, ungrateful. Man, having a grumbling spirit is a sign of a much deeper root. If you find yourself complaining all the time, if you find yourself not being grateful, not being happy with anything, it's never enough, it's never good enough, no one's giving you enough, you know, you, you, you gripe, complain, complain, gripe. If you find yourself doing that, that, there's a root there, okay? Don't just pluck off the leaf. There's a deeper root, and the deeper root is you are, a lover of self and not a lover of God. Because you see, when you're a lover of self, you're oriented around self and, and, and it's really, you deserve it all, don't you? I mean, you're entitled to it all. And so, hey, keep giving, keep giving. Come on, I deserve it all. You were nice to me today, darn right. You better keep on, you know. I mean, it's never good enough service. It's never, the, the person on the counter never does it fast enough. You know why? Because you deserve this all the time. That's an ungrateful person. And the root of that is you're not loving God. You see, if you were loving God, what would you say? You say, glory to God. Man, he's been so good. I'm not in hell today. Man, God, thank you. Thank you for air conditioning. Thank you for nice seats. Thank you for a time of worship. Thank you for for family. Thank you for people around me. Thank you, Lord. Everything I have is a gift. My goodness, God, you're incredible. That's That's a lover of God. But the person who's like, man, it's... Not good enough. My car's not good enough. Look out there in the parking lot. Everybody else is better than mine. My house is not good enough. My family's not good enough. That, that's a person who's a lover of self, not a lover of God. Heartless. Man, you, you'll just find yourself being brutal. Sometimes with your words. Mostly that's where it comes out in most people. And when you find yourself being brutal with your words, why is that? What's the root of that? The root of that is when self is king, people annoy you. They frustrate you. They irritate you. They inconvenience you. You know why? Because they're living on the same planet, you know? And, and they're taking up your lane. And then they're taking up the bathroom. And they're stinking up the bathroom, you know? And I mean, it's just, it's just annoying. Man, look at this one. This, this is a jewel here. Unappeasable. You see that? Verse 3. I don't know how your Bible translates it. But when I read unappeasable, you know what I thought? When I read unappeasable, I thought, oh, oh, I get it, I get it, I get it. The, I, my, 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 my line of thinking went, what the Bible is saying is that a lover of self, a lover of self, it's never enough. He always wants more. He always needs more. You know, it's that. That's not actually what the word means. I'm so grateful that I looked this up in Greek because I'd have been way off. In the Greek, here's the definition of the word. Unappeasable means, means this. Unwilling to make a truce or a treaty. Unwilling to make a truce or a treaty. You know what that is? That's someone who won't reconcile. Okay? That's someone who, who won't forgive. You know, when you're, when you're unwilling to make a truce, someone's coming to you saying, Hey man, sorry about that. And you're like, back off. Back, uh I mean, you aren't good. Now, now, now think about this. If you find yourself being a person who doesn't forgive and doesn't reconcile, what's at the root of that? The root of that is a real big me, okay? 
If you look inside everybody's heart, there, there's, there's gonna, something's going to be big. There's going to be a lot of things written, but there's going to be one big word, okay? So just kind of picture the inside of your heart, okay? So you got this, this vacuum place here, and just kind of picture this in illustration. And, and, and on some people's heart, there's like, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know, Emma, Avery, you know, da, 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 da. But then there's one big word, okay? And the big word is either me or the big word is Jesus, okay? Now, if the big word is me... It's going to be really hard for you to forgive. It's going to be hard for you to reconcile. You're just going to struggle bad with it. You know, you know why? Because every time you try to forgive, you know what happens? Me flashes up on the screen, you know? They dishonored me. They, 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 they disparaged me. They gossiped against me. They, 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 they hurt me. It's just going to be hard for you to forgive. Because me is just going to be flashing, flashing, flashing. Man, I see this in my office. You know, I have people come in and, Really struggling with unforgiveness. And so what, what, what should I do? I take them through the gospel. Even if they're Christians. I'm just like, hey man, here's the only way that I know to forgive. I, here's, here's what the Bible would say. The Bible would say you need to put your focus on Jesus Christ. Here's what he did. He came to earth in the form of a man. He experienced every difficulty, every struggle that you've experienced. He, he suffered and died a torturous death on the cross to pay for your penalty. You'll never go to hell. You'll never suffer the wrath of God because Jesus took all of that upon himself and he died on the cross that you might be forgiven of every one of your sins and made righteous and live forever guiltless before the throne of God. And you know what they say? Yeah, but that person hurt me. I mean, literally, what, what's flashing? Me, me, me. Why, why, can't people, why can't some folks forgive? Self is king. If self's king, you have to work it off, buddy. I mean, literally, you will have to work it off. If you're going to reconcile with a person who loves self, self is king of their heart, man, you're going to have to work that dude off. And they're going to make you work it off forever. <laughs> you know, actually, it's going to be 20 years. And then they're going to remind you, yeah, you remember what you did? Yeah. You still paying for that sucker? You know, I mean, they're, they're going to make you work it off. When Jesus is king, you can put it on the cross and you can forgive slanderous. Notice that. Okay. Hey, remember this sandwich idea? Okay. If we, if we go with the Hebrew chiasm, what it, what it means is there's parallelism all the way to the middle and it's always got a middle. Okay. You know what the middle of the sandwich is? It's, it's this word slanderous. Okay. If, when you break it down the, the Greek words, slanderous is the Greek word. Guess what it is for devil. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? That devil is the middle of the sandwich. Okay. You got not loving God, not loving God, and right in the middle you got devil. Now, the word devil here is translated as slanderous. That, that's what it means. It means to basically tear somebody down with your words. Why, why do people gossip? You ever wonder why people gossip? The root of gossip is love for self. Okay? If you're gonna if you're gonna love yourself, what do you got to do? You got to display that to other people. How are you gonna display that to other people? Well, there's two ways. You're either awesome all the time at everything which I fail at, and probably you do as well, or you gotta, you've got to strategically compare yourself to others. Do you notice I said strategically? So what do you do? That's why people gossip. They'll line up somebody that's blown it, and they'll, they'll want that to be the topic of conversation. Hey, hey, did, did, did you hear about, or actually they're not excited about it. Did, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear how they, they blew it? Did you hear how they did that terrible thing? The whole while, what's that, what's that, what's that make me, make me look good? I didn't do that. <laughs> I look really good. 
What is that? Love herself. Without self-control, we're keeping going here. We've got to go quickly. When a person worships self, he can't say no to self. Why? Self is king. You don't say no to the king, do you? If you're a worshiper of God, you don't come in here to church and say, no, God, not doing it. No. Well, if you're a worshiper of self, you have a real hard time saying no, don't you? You have a hard time saying no to anger and lust and gluttony and, oh, said the G word, sorry. That's lovers of self. Not, not loving good, treacherous. Why do people betray other people for self? Reckless. Why are people reckless? Why do they make all kinds of decisions that have consequences they don't think through? You know why? Because they're thinking of self. Now, let's, let's wrap this up. Here's a scary verse, okay? You know, when, whenever I read a passage like this, it says, in the last days, and then it gives all these terrible characteristics. You know, you, know what I, you know what I do? If I'm in the church, I look out the window. Oh, I see somebody. Yeah, it's probably that guy out there. See him? Getting in that Bronco. It's probably that guy. It's not us, right? Verse 5 says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Okay, so the final characteristic of these folks is they have the appearance of godliness, but no power. Okay, now, who has an appearance of godliness? Religious people. Isn't that where you find those folks? You you know, the scary thing about this passage is Paul's talking about today. And he's talking about people who are religious. And they have this facade of godliness, but there's no power. There's no power to be forgiving. There's no power to be grateful. There's no power to be obedient to parents. There's no power to love neighbor. There's no power to be any of those things. And so they're continually, weeds are growing, growing, growing. You know what I want to do today, guys? I, 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 want, us to, I want us to pull the root. You know what I'd love? <laughs> I'd love if spiritually we could, we could just hold that dude up in the air. Say, you know what? Man, I've been struggling with being a complainer for years. And I've always just tried to pledge, God, help me not to complain. But what I realized this morning is the reason I complain all the time is because I love myself more than I love God. I've been revolving around me, me, me. Maybe you're a person that's struggled with forgiveness. Man, you've heard a hundred sermons on forgiveness and every one you felt guilty. Every one you knew that you need to forgive somebody, but it kept coming back and it kept coming back and it kept coming back. Wouldn't it be cool today if we could pull that root and hold it up in the air and say, you know what? I realized this morning that the reason that I keep being unforgiving is because I think way too much of me and not near enough of Jesus. Maybe you're a person that tends to be kind of brutal with your words. Man, sometimes your family has, has suffered the brunt of it, unfortunately, because they're, they're around you. And you've said things over and over that you don't mean, or you mean them at the time, but you don't mean them later. And maybe, maybe finally you could pull up the root and say, you know, you know why I keep doing that? I keep doing that because I'm a lover of self, and not a lover of God. And what I really need to do is I need to revolve my rot life around Jesus and not around me. This whole, this whole revolving around me, it just doesn't work. It's just not, it's just not life.